You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Well, good morning to all of you. Hi, my name is Jay. Um, and of course, welcome to all of you who are watching, listening online, or who will be doing so later. Um, I'm the lead pastor here. I've been gone for two months, and I know this may be a little redundant for some of you, but I was away on a sabbatical. And uh, last Sunday was my first Sunday back, and this is my first Sunday preaching, so we'll see if I remember how to do that. And as we do so, as we prepare to dive into God's Word, you may or may not have noticed this, so I just want to speak to it real quickly so it's not any more of a distraction than it is. But uh, you can see a drip behind me that catches the light every so often. And one of my first things that I did when I got back from sabbatical to stimulate giving and to enhance our offering as I went up on the roof and with a drill and put it, no, no, no. But we do have a little leak here that we thought we'd fix before, and it's back, and we'll get it fixed later this week. So if you see me ducking up here, that's, that's, I'm, I'm avoiding the drip there. But that being said, I have missed you, and I am so glad to be back and to be back with you in community. And once again, I just want to say thank you, a true heartfelt thank you to you as my church family, and for blessing us as a staff, for those of us who have been here seven years or more, to to be able to go away and to take a, a sabbatical to refresh, refocus, rejuvenate. I'm running out of our words, but it, but it was just fantastic. And my, my, my one word answer for folks who have asked me what was it like, it, it was life-changing. It absolutely was. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that um, later on in our time this morning. But again, thank you for being a church family who loves our team and blesses our team and makes it a joy to serve here. But I am super, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It really is good. It really, really is good to be back. So um, my sabbatical was just a, a little longer than two, two months and some change, I guess you could say. And um, there was one thing in particular that was pre-existing before the sabbatical, and that was that uh, Jamie and I some time ago had planned a trip to Hawaii, to Maui. And so, I mean, what a great way to end the sabbatical. The way things worked out was my last week of sabbatical was spent suffering in Hawaii. Yeah, it was just, it was amazing. And so the night that Jamie and I flew back out and we got in here late um, the night we came back, um, you know, it was like 83 degrees and humid, and I'm not trying to rub it in, but sunny, 83 degrees, you know, humid, warm. And uh, we get back here and there's a 49 degree difference in temperature between what we left and what we came back to. So it's midnight by the time, you know, we'd gotten our luggage, landed, got on the shuttle, rid out, ridden out to the parking lot where we had parked my truck. And, and so here are Jamie and I, you know, in our Hawaii clothes, I'm in my board shorts and I'm scraping ice off the windshield, you know, wondering why did I come back? Why didn't I just stay there? But it, but it really was a, a fantastic experience. And, of course, Hawaii is just wonderful. You know, they say that Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. I don't think so. I think it's Hawaii. I, I really do. I mean, take a look at this. This is the picture from my phone off of our lanai, our little porch, with where we stayed. That's literally where we stayed. I mean, you go down some stairs, and you're on the beach. And here's all these people playing in the waves and, you know, lots of, lots of families with kids there, and they're all giggling and, you know, running in the water. And I mean, it was just, 
it was just wonderful. It truly was fantastic. And so here I am. I'm with my bride. We're in Hawaii. I mean, it's sunny. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. I'm coming to the end of this wonderful two-month sabbatical. And it was just one of those occasions where I just, I just felt like singing and singing for joy. You ever had an experience like that? Ever been in a moment where it's just so significant and so powerful and so special, you just, you just want to sing? I mean, you just have this joy. And maybe you can relate to that and maybe you can't. But either way, today we come in this series to really the first Christmas song that we're going to look at. Luke, the gospel writer, captures for us these worship responses to the birth of Jesus and the lives of, of Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and Simeon. And today we look at Mary and how she responds when she's told that Jesus is coming and he's coming through her. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And so she breaks forth in this, in this song and we're going to look at the realities that this song has for you and for me. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. I just want to pray one more time for God to speak into our hearts and lives, and then we're going to get right into this. So Lord, thank you for preserving for us through time this amazing song of worship. Mary breaking forth in a song of joy when she realizes, when she recognizes, when she responds to what you have told her and to what you're doing and what you're going to do. So Lord, would you speak into our hearts and lives? Once again, we ask for a demonstration of your Spirit's power that as only you can, you make your word come alive to us, that you use it to transform us, to give us hope, to give us help, to give us focus and perspective, and yes, to give us joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to pick up right where we left off from Gabe last week. Gabe took us through what happened some 2,000 years ago when the angel appeared to Mary and told her, uh, oh yeah, by the way, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. The Savior of the world is coming into the world through, through you. And Gabe did a beautiful job of taking us through that whole passage. And now, now the angel has left he told her to go, basically, and go see her, her relative, Elizabeth. And so that's now where we're going to pick up in this story. But as we do so, as we look at this story, I want you to watch for how Mary responds to what God has done. What does she say? What does she do? What does she sing? And then we'll take a look at what that means for you and me after that. So let me read this to you. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. At that time... Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And one of the first things that that just jumps out from this passage to me is how Mary responds. The angel all but tells her to go see Elizabeth. So what does she do? She goes and sees Elizabeth. It says at that time she got ready and she hurried and she went to go see Elizabeth. And it's, it's remarkable. Now, if you were Mary, if I were Mary, would we have actually done that? I mean, think about this for a minute. We know from what Scripture captured for us and for what Gabe helped us see last week, this was all so overwhelming to her. And if I was Mary, I'd have some questions. And she actually does. Remember, she says, basically, how's this going to work? And the angel explained some of that to her, but I'm sure all her questions were answered, and yet she's told to go see Elizabeth. And as I've thought about that myself, I've, I've wondered at times, well, why would she be told to go see Elizabeth? I mean, most scholars believe this is like a 70, 80-mile journey. It's a hard journey and at times possibly a dangerous journey with where she would be going, and yet she goes. But why? And it makes me wonder, could it be that the angel tells her to go see Elizabeth because who's really going to take her at her word and believe what God has said? I mean, let's take this for a test drive for a minute. Someone in your sphere of influence comes to you and says, yeah, I'm pregnant. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, God made me pregnant. Oh, and by the way, it's God who I'm going to give birth to. Seriously? I mean, what would you do with that? They were no more prone to believe that than you or I would be today. So who is going to believe Mary at all? How about someone who's also experiencing a miracle in their lives? Old women, we don't know how old Elizabeth was, but old women don't have babies, and she's going to have a baby. So who's going to believe Mary? How about someone who's also experienced a miracle of, of God? And she's such an incredible example of obedience. Mary doesn't seem to hesitate despite whatever doubts she had, and I'm sure she had them, despite what fear she had, and we know she had them, questions she had, she goes and she obeys. Is that you? When God asks you to obey, when God asks me to obey him, do you? Because the timing for God when he asks us to obey is always now. But wait a minute, I've got questions. But wait a minute, I have doubts. Or even on a deeper level, but wait a minute, I'm afraid. I don't know how this is going to work. Will you obey anyway? Or will you put conditions on God? Do, do you hesitate? Because for those of us who know and love the Lord, you know the spiritual reality that obedience is a daily thing. And there are these series of defining moments that often happen throughout the rhythm of our days where we have to decide, am I going to obey God or not? 
And we have to remember that partial obedience is still disobedience at the end of the day. And so Mary is this incredibly compelling, powerful example of faith us. God tells her to do something, and she does it, despite whatever fears, questions, doubts that she had. And it's, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful, and it gets even more powerful. So she goes and sees Elizabeth, and look what happens. Elizabeth cries out, and many think this is, this is a song in and of itself as well. She just declares, you know, you're blessed. And the baby in Elizabeth's womb, who we know is John, going to be John the Baptist, he, he leaps for joy in her womb. And, and as Mary begins to sing, she's experiencing joy. So Elizabeth cries out for joy, and Mary sings for joy, and the baby leaps for joy. Joy, joy everywhere, right? And it's pretty cool, and it's pretty fun to see. And Mary finds joy in the Lord. And I think this is so significant. And again, I think it's instructive for you and me. I mean, yes, we get, we understand she's joyful because of a miracle that's happening in her life. I mean, it's, it's amazing. She, she can and should be joyful. It, it, it's a miracle. And yet on the outside looking in, it's a disaster. Now, most of us don't have a frame of reference for this. We don't live in an honor-shame culture. But for those of you who have, you've told me, and from what I've read, is that in an honor-shame culture, what keeps you up at night is anything that you would say or do or not do that would bring shame on yourself, shame on your community, shame on your family. That's what keeps you up at night. You will not do something like that. And yet in the eyes of everyone around her, Mary has done all three. As Gabe helped us understand last week, she was betrothed to Joseph. This is more than an engagement. In that culture, in that time, if you were betrothed to someone like Mary was to Joseph, you were married in every way but that of sexual intimacy. And to break that, you had to divorce. And so what's everyone going to think? Mary's been sleeping around. Or Joseph has slept with her before they've been fully married. And there's all this shame. And yet we know that despite what it looks like, God is choosing to work through this, that there's a whole other story going on here. But, but let's think about it again from, from Mary's life. According to Old Testament law in Leviticus 20, her life is now on the line. She could be stoned for being pregnant out of wedlock. And, and by the way, so could Joseph if they thought he was the one who did it. So yes, this miracle's happening in her life. And yet she's still desperately poor. She's an unwed teenage peasant woman. We don't know where this is in the ark, or at least I don't fully know at what point the angel had appeared to Joseph and he wasn't going to divorce her. So at this point, maybe she's doing business with those realities as well. Is Joseph going to divorce me? I mean, yes, you have this joy, but you also have all these hard, difficult things. And I bet the same is true for you. What are you up against today? You know, as one of your pastors, as I get to pray for you and hear about what's going on in your life, I know that almost every single one of you is up against something today. Something that's hard, painful, hurtful, a loss, 
grief, relational angst, financial pressures, a friendship that's gone south and you don't know why, or you're doing battle with something. And and with that reality in mind, that's why what we see in Mary's life, what she examples to us, is so profoundly powerful to me. Because on one hand, Scripture never tells us to pretend that things are better than they are. Isn't that refreshing? You can live an authentic life. And actually, living an authentic life is a godly life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15 in the New Testament, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We're never told to pretend things are better than they are. There is a place to lament. There is a place to hurt. There is a place to cry out against injustice. There is a place to not feel happy all the time. But at the same time, we live in a culture where we're constantly told that circumstances and how we feel is our reality. And so feelings are king. So what if you don't feel joy? Can you still have it? Can you still experience it? Even when things are difficult and hard, and please understand, this is not an overly simplistic one, two, three steps to joy that we're talking about here. But at the same time, people and circumstances can steal your joy if you let them. Don't let them. In many ways, joy is a choice. It's not just a feeling. And you can have joy in difficulty, in hardship, in pain, in loss, in grief. And Mary examples that for here, for us. Yes, this miracle's happened in her life, but there are some incredibly hard things in her life. And how does she respond? She sings. She literally sings for joy. And, 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 and she worships the Lord as a result. And what I want to know is, how do you worship the Lord like like this, like like she does? And I think at the heart of that is her realization of what God has done for her. Look Look at the basis of this song. My soul glorifies the Lord. Another way to say that is my soul magnifies the Lord. Boy, I have joy in God because he's my Savior. All generations will call me blessed. That is absolutely true. Here we are thousands of years later, hundreds, maybe, I guess thousands of generations later, we're still talking about what God did for her because it was a miracle. And she recognizes it, but she doesn't just sing about what God's done for her. She sings about what God has done for his people, for those who fear him. He scatters those who are gathered and he gathers together those who are scattered He brings down those who are prideful. He brings down those rulers who are arrogant. But he lifts up the humble. And another way of saying this is he lifts up those on the bottom. And he's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. I mean, just powerful realities here. And he's remembered his people to be merciful to them and to honor the promises that he has given to them. He sees her. God sees her and loves her. And for those of you who are familiar with your Bibles and and remember this from your Old Testament, this song reverberates with things that we've heard before. And this is a very similar song to what Hannah sings when she's told by God that after longing to have children of her own, she finally gets to have this baby who was Samuel, one of the greatest prophets 
of, of the nation. And you remember, Hannah breaks out in song in 1 Samuel 2, and there are echoes of that song in this song, and we wrestle with this at preaching team. And why is that? Well, could it be because, again, back in that day and age, and this is really hard for us to put our heads around, but their printing press wasn't invented for about 1,500 years, and it was an oral culture. Most people could not read or write, and presumably Mary couldn't read or write. We don't know that for sure, but most likely not. And yet she knew from these Old Testament stories and history that were passed down from generation to generation, she knew most likely Hannah's song. And she was capturing some of the very spiritual realities and promises that, that God had fulfilled to Hannah, she was now fulfilling to her. And I think that's so important. And I think one of the realities, one of the practical things for you and I to take away from this is, again, in our broken, sinful, selfish culture, we are constantly told and indoctrinated and led to believe that we need to focus on what's wrong, on what we don't have. And so often our bent is to focus on what we don't have. Well, what do you have? What has God done for you and me? You know, I've mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. One of the verses, really our central verse that we adopted, Jamie and I, when we first got married for our family, is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful when you feel like it. No, it says be joyful always. Pray when you feel like it. No, pray continually. Give thanks sometimes. No, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks for all circumstances. Not, not I mean, give thanks in all circumstances. Not give thanks for everything, but give thanks in all things. What a completely different perspective. And when you begin to capture those kinds of spiritual, practical realities, it fuels your worship. And you begin to recognize what God has done for you, and you begin to be thankful. And yes, you begin to experience joy. Worship is a conduit, is a pathway to joy. And so Mary does this, and she breaks out in song. And we sing a lot here at Grace, because singing is a very powerful form of worship. Old Testament to new, we see it over and over again. But it's not the only form of worship. There are many other forms of responding to God. Giving. Giving to others is a response to God. Serving others is a response to God. Because God blesses us to be a blessing to others. And you are. And you do. One of the ways that we do this as a community, we've already been talking about, and most of you have a skin in the game with it, it's through Advent Conspiracy. And that culminates really in this Christmas party that we do over the course of this entire weekend. So we'll really talk about this next week. We've got a video that captured some of what's happened, and it's still being assembled, but we'll show all that next week. But just to give you some numbers here, community Christmas party, here it is. So 135 food boxes given away, 124 cookie kits given away, over 1,000 pairs of socks given away. That's a lot of socks. 226 toys were distributed yesterday. 578 guests came through the doors on Friday night for the party for East Gresham Elementary. 94 families were served yesterday with toys on Toy Day Saturday. And over 140 of you volunteered your time, and a number of you are doing that multiple times here through the weekend. 
I think that's pretty cool. I'm excited about that. And that, yeah, you can applaud that. And we're all on the same page here. We're not trying to pat ourselves on the back. We're not saying, look what we did. We're saying, look what God did. Because most of us have more than we need. And when God blesses us, he blesses us not just to bless us. He blesses us to be a blessing to others. And that's what we're trying to do and trying to be. And we do that as a community. And it's instructive to me that when Mary breaks out in song, when Mary worships in this way, she doesn't do it until she's with Elizabeth. And I think there's something there. There is a special dynamic of worship that only happens in community. And I experienced that firsthand these last couple months when I was gone from you. Man, I, I'm genuine. I'm, I'm, I'm being completely honest with you. I missed you. Well, most of you. <laughs> no, all of you. I, I missed you. Not just because I'm one of your pastors. And again, you would expect a pastor to say this. You need to be at church every Sunday. Well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say that. But there's more to it than that. Uh, yes, I, we did worship in some other communities while we were gone. But it wasn't the same as being in this one. You see, I didn't just miss you pastorally. I, I missed you personally. And I'm not just talking about relationally. I'm talking about spiritually. My friends, listen. Please catch this. There is a dynamic of worshiping God, growing in God, knowing God more intimately that you only experience when you're in community. It doesn't happen anywhere else. There is a reason, Scripture says, don't give up on meeting and being together. Because in our discipleship, in our process of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did, there's a dynamic and a fast of that you will only get when you're in community. Now, please, hear my heart with this. I am so grateful that we have this technology that was forced upon us because of COVID with, with being able to go online, being able to connect with some of you through online. And, and again, hear this from me. There are legit reasons, several, to worship online. Some of you are sick. You just, you have an illness or something you're up against. You just can't be here. Some of you, whatever life circumstances are, you just, you can't be here. And of course, when any of us are vacationing or traveling or maybe temporarily sick, it's wonderful to be able to go back and listen or even to watch live. Totally get all that. But please hear this. If church community for you is coming to this maybe once every month, once every two months, once every three months, and I, I know from talking to a number of you, there are a number of you that's true for, you are not going to grow in your relationship with God by doing that or it's going to be very minimal. If you want to grow in Jesus, if you want him to reveal himself to you, if you are serious about knowing and loving this God, you need to be here consistently. And if you're not, you are fooling yourself and you're being disingenuous with yourself. Because there, there is something you will only discover and experience when you're here with God's people. And I experienced that personally. There was a dimension of my spiritual growth and intimacy with Christ that struggled because I wasn't here consistently for two months. And that was two months. 
And Mary experiences the power of God because she believes the word of God. If you want to experience the power of God, you got to believe the word of God. So do you? And are you? Where do you need to experience the power of God in your life today? Mary looks beyond her circumstances to see what God has done for her. And we could spend a whole lot of time on this too, but there are so many powerful identity statements in what we read in that passage. You know, there was... um, a man who he and his family were a part of grace for many, many years, Ron and Marty Ann Fisher. They're both now with the Lord. They used to sit towards the front here. And Ron, um, for many years, when I, when I first came here as your lead pastor, would come up to me literally every Sunday. And he'd come up to me and, you know, he'd say some things. And he always said this. He said, Jay, just remember, as a man thinketh, so he is. You know, he'd go King James on me. And that's out of Proverbs 23, 7, that basically says, from right thinking comes right living. And it's absolutely true. And I'm so glad he said that because I needed to hear it. Because we live in a culture of broken, sinful people living broken, sinful lives, telling one another what our identity should be. And how well is that working out for us? Our experiences of joy and hope and fulfillment just going off the charts in a way they never have before in our country? And the answer is no. By any metric, by any measure, we are a dumpster fire and it's getting worse. Because so many of us find our identity in what other people tell us or what culture tells us to do and to believe. And you know, social is just such an incredible tool and and blessing But so many of us are so concerned with what others think and say about us. What about what God says about you? What about what he says about your identity and mine? Does that that even matter? And here's the reality, and this is so powerful, and I continue to think and marinate on this because it's true. Only Jesus gives you an identity that isn't achieved but is received. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to hope you're good enough. His grace is sufficient for each one of us. He he loves us. And we're reminded of that by remembering. And what Mary does in this beautiful song of worship is she remembers. Oh, that's an interesting S. (laughs) Proof I haven't preached in two months. She remembers what the Lord has done for her. And for her people, there is a past element to this, there's a present element to this, and there's a future element to this. Sounds a lot like Christmas time, does it not? Christmas time is when we remember what God has done, what God is doing, what he's going to do. He came once, and he's going to come again. And we can take to the bank that he's going to come again because he came the first time, just like he promised he would. And there's this incredible wonder in this, and, and, and there should be, because so often when we focus just on our circumstances, it feels like God has left the scene. You ever feel like that? I know you have, and some of you feel like that here this morning. It feels like God has forgotten about you, 
or it feels like God isn't doing anything in your life. And we have to remind and remember, remind ourselves and remember, no, that's not God. This is the God who says, never, never will I leave you or forsake you. You know, one of the many things God screamed in my ear on this sabbatical over and over again, every time I picked up my Bible, Old Testament, New, I seemed to read this like, okay, Lord, I'm, I get it. I'm listening. But over and over again, I was reminded the Lord is near. Draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. And a big part of my sabbatical, very deliberately so, was remembering very quickly, all of us who go on a sabbatical submit a plan of, this is what I'm going to do. And one of those things that I very purposely did was I, was I remembered. In 1999, Jamie and I began what we call our, our rock pile journal. And this is, you know, stolen from the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 4. If you remember what happened then when God brought his people into the promised land, did another water miracle, and he parted the waters of the Jordan River, just like he had parted the Red Sea when they were freed from Egypt. He parted the waters of the Jordan River, and the whole nation walks through. And before they leave, he goes, uh-uh-uh-uh, don't leave yet. One person from each of the 12 tribes go into the river where the ground is dry, where you just crossed. They, everybody grabs a rock and brings it, and you're going to build a monument here. It's so that future generations, when a child asks their father, what's, what's that rock pile about? You can say, this is because the Lord did this for us. And so in 1999, we decided as a family, we're going to begin to document and capture God things so we don't remember them. I'm, excuse me, so we don't forget them. <laughs> Once again, clearly I've not preached in two months. And so we began to do this. And my friends, I've never comprehensively read through the whole thing. It's 24 years long. But miracle after miracle, God thing after God thing, over a half dozen healing miracles in our family. Class A bona fide miracles. No other explanation for it. Provision miracles where God just provides in the nick of time. And so many stories, so many things of God that give you goosebumps. And I got goosebumps all over again. And I marinated in these things of God as part of my sabbatical. So what promises has God kept for you? And how do you keep track of those? Because we tend to forget. And you know, one of the wonderful things about Christmas is we're not telling a new story we're remembering an old one about a God who saves. Mary singing about a God who is her Savior, but is he yours? So I'm going to tell you what I told Jamie when this happened, after this happened. I am okay. Okay, I'm, I'm okay. I'm here before you. I'm still here but I almost didn't come back from that Hawaiian vacation. Jamie and I have never been to Maui in November. And in November, often there's a number of offshore storms that you don't ever see. And even though the weather's really good where you're at, the currents are far stronger, the waves are far bigger. 
And the day before we got there, two people, two coves over from where we were staying had been lost. One had been cliff jumping, never came back. One had been snorkeling, never came back. So here's all these Coast Guard helicopters for five days out looking to rescue, and then after that, frankly, looking to recover. And so the waters were, the currents were strong, the waves were far bigger than they normally are. And where we stay, it's claim to fame at that beach that I showed you with being really gentle currents. And again, there's lots of families with kids there. It's just, it's kind of the kiddie cove, you know, where you learn how to swim and where you learn how to surf and where you learn how to snorkel. It's just, it's, it's wonderful. But the waves were strong and, and the currents were stronger and so they had two red flags up that said basically, man, don't go in the water unless you really know what you're doing. And of course, a number of people did, whether they knew what they were doing. And I decided, okay, the second day, I just, I love to snorkel. And Jamie and I were in the water swimming every day, close to shore, while the currents were strong. But I decided, you know what, I'm going to go snorkel. And I'm not going to go very far, so I'm down in the most gentle part of the bay where all the rocks are, where the best snorkeling is along the side there. And I'm maybe 20 yards from shore. And even at that... I'm diving under the waves because they're so big. So I just don't get churned around. So I'm watching the waves and I'm being very deliberate and very careful and I'm not going very far. And here comes a man and his daughter out on boogie boards and they just keep going further and further out. And I keep thinking to myself, there is no way I would do that. They're going to get in trouble. And they did. I heard this yelling as I was, you know, snorkeling and minding my own business and I, I you know, came up out of the water and looked around and here's this man and his daughter and the waves are now taking them into the rocks and they're crying for help and no one can hear them. What would you do? You have an instant decision you have to make and you were the only one who hears them and you were the closest one to help them. So we can talk about this later if it was a good choice or not. I think it's debatable. But in that moment, I decided I'm going to help them. I've got a snorkel and fins. Long ago, I used to be a lifeguard, but I don't have a rescue tube, and I'm a pretty good swimmer, and there's no one else around, and no one can hear them. So I swim out to them, and I tell them they'll hold on to me, and we'll work with the waves, and you know we're going to make our way out of the cross current so that we can actually swim out of it. But the currents were too strong and the waves were too big and they were, frankly, too exhausted. They, they couldn't help. And I wasn't strong enough to pull both of them. And so we're being pulled onto the rocks at this point. The only thing I did was I helped them stay off the rocks, but we kept going further and further out. And the reality is the vast majority of the beaches in Maui and I think in Hawaii don't have a lifeguard. You're on your own. But because some people had been lost before we had gotten there, tragically, um, they had some lifeguards out on some ski another cove over, and there happened, just happened to be a lifeguard they had stationed on our beach that none of us knew about, who radioed them because they saw us in distress, and here around the corner comes this ski with a couple lifeguards on it. I've never been happier to see a personal watercraft, okay? <laughs> and it comes up to us, and it takes me and the daughter in, and then it takes the dad, and it's only afterwards where I begin to realize what just about happened. And where we stayed is at the other end of the beach. So Jamie doesn't know, thankfully, any of this is going on. She doesn't see any of it happening. But I went back and told her what happened. And we had a long conversation about that, <laughs> as you might imagine. 
And as I was reflecting on that, A, being grateful that really my life had been spared, but B, it reminded me, isn't that a picture of what God has already done for you? What he's done for all of us? Jesus, knowing that it would cost him his life, that he would die a horrible, excruciating, awful death to rescue me from my sinfulness and selfishness, to bring me into a place of joy and love and hope and grace and mercy. Isn't that what he did for you and me? Did he not put his life on the line knowing he would lose it in order to rescue you and to bring you into his kingdom? Isn't that what Jesus has done for each one of us? That's not really the question. The real question is, are you going to respond? And how will you respond? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And those of you watching, listening online, I would invite you to do this too. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. There are some of you, I know, just by the sheer numbers in the room and watching and listening online, there are some of you, you know, that despite what you say, yeah, I believe in God, yeah, I go to church, you've never made that defining moment choice and decision to receive Jesus in your life as your Savior. This is him coming to you again and inviting you to do just that. So with your head bowed, your eyes closed, just between you and the Lord, would you say to him, Jesus, I do believe you are who you say you are. I thank you that you love me and that you died on a cross to rescue me. And I receive you into my life. Thank you that you will never leave me and that you now are truly my Savior. And Lord, for those who maybe aren't ready to make that choice, I would pray for them that you would not leave them alone, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would remind them of who you are and that they would respond to you by choosing to step into your family at some point. And Lord, for those of us who have made that choice, Every day, you are our Savior. And so would we remember what you have done for us? Would we cry out to you to save us once again so that we can be who you have called and prepared us to be? And Lord, as we prepare to worship you now, would we sing out of what you have done for us, remembering the great God that you are? We love you. And I thank you for every person watching and listening to this. We seek you together in Jesus' name. Amen. So is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? If you made that decision to respond to his love, his truth, his grace, his mercy for you this morning by receiving him into your life, 
would you please tell someone, tell the person you came with, I would love to hear about that from you. And if you're watching, listening online, please go to our website and our homepage, gracecc.net, hit the connect button and let us know because you have now made literally the most important decision you will ever make. And we want to help you begin to grow in this amazing relationship that you have now entered into. Because you see, for all of us, we all start out at the same place. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, and this is talking about Jesus, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Remember who he is. Remember who you are. And remember who we are as his people. Jesus, thank you that you are near to us. You are near to us here as we seek you together as a community in worship. But you are near to us as we go into the rest of this day and this week. Would you help us to remember what it is you've done for us. Give us a joy that doesn't just come from circumstances, but comes from knowing you as the one true God. And Lord, would you give every single one of us, including me, the opportunity to tell someone about you this week, who you are, what you've done, how you've been good, how you are good, because we love you. And we ask all this in your name, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. So go live for him. Hope to see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.